G'day, I'm Morgan Evans, and welcome to Selkirk OnServe, a pickleball podcast presented by Selkirk Sport. With interviews and insights, news and announcements, we're here to take the pulse of pickleball. Welcome to part two of our question and answer episode on Selkirk OnServe. Here we go. Okay, Jeremy Puckett asks, what is the single biggest aspect of the game that you see changing in the next two to five years? Well, Jeremy, I, uh, I think endorsements are, are gonna be a big change. I believe that the amount the average professional player can make um, is gonna start changing. I think, I think companies are going to really start taking note of just how many pickleball players are out there um, and the marketing opportunities to those players. So using young professional players to help build their brands is going to become you know, a more prevalent activity in the game. Um, and that's going to help professional pickleball players fund their jobs. I think, I think we're going to see more and more players, um, essentially professional players in every sense, in that they're not also a part-time accountant they are just pickleball players and their job is to excel at their sports. There are very few players like that at the moment, if any. Um, so I think that's going to be the biggest change we'll notice. Other than that, the biggest change may indeed be the biggest change. <laughs> and when I say that, I mean the height of players, um, professional players is getting taller and taller and it's getting tougher and tougher for me to deal with these monsters. So. Either we have a 5-10 and below league, or uh, i got to get on that stretch machine. Laurie Hitchens. Hello, Laurie. She writes, Do I have to switch to Selkirk for you to coach me? Yes. Yes, you do. But you should anyway. <laughs> David Leach chimes in. Tyson is director up here in Spokane at North Park Athletic Club. Do you think he'll continue to be a roaming teacher, or will he become a pickleball director in Southern California? Well, if Tyson is listening, buddy, Southern California is not big enough for the both of us. Nah, probably is. Almost certainly is, really. Um, good question, David. Uh, I think he's going to stick with the uh, uh, the traveling, transient coach that he is. Uh, he's a fantastic pickleball coach. Um, and I know he loves the excitement of being on the road, and it also helps him, um, you know, spend a couple of weeks a month at least with uh, young Tyson Jr. So it's a great fit for him, and uh, I think he'll continue with that. One of my all-time favorite people, Lisa LaBaron Hadley, writes to the coach who taught me this game. Or in a competitive match, what is your mental objective in the first game of the match? Great question, Lisa. Well, one of the first things I'm trying to do is establish who I want to return to and who do I want to hit third balls to as a team. Now, obviously, that's a bit more tactical. From a mental standpoint, I'm looking to display consistency. Um, now, consistency for me revolves around good footwork and good shot selection, um, but that's really a state of mind. That's a decision for you to not make outrageous shot selections um, that may or may not win. You know, if you, if you manage to hit those 
incredible hero shots, yes, it might put some pressure on your opponents, but they're also going to be thinking, all right, this person's willing to take some real risks, um, and what's the likelihood of them being able to do that enough successfully to win the match? All right, that's, you know, that's icing on the cake stuff. I want to display someone who's going to make good shot selections um, and not give up easy points. The other thing is, is I'm looking to make sure myself and my partner are really working as a team and obviously working as a team from an outsider's perspective. You know, something I really enjoy um, with Tyson and my former men's partner, Marson, is, you know, I think it came across to everybody who watched that we were good friends and a good team together. Thanks, Lisa. See you soon, sweetie. All right, Skip Sorich. Measuring from 1 to 10, 10 being the high, well, obviously, that's usually how that works, but... <laughs> how important is the serve in pickleball? Thanks for all you do for pickleball, Skip Sorich. You're welcome, Skip. It's always an honor and a privilege. In my opinion, I would say on your uh, 1 to 10 scale, it's right up there as an 8 or a 9, perhaps. Um, I'm someone who's always believed that an aggressive serve really sets the tone for the point and the match, um, knowing that you know, for someone to play effective returns and therefore give us difficult shots on the third ball um, is made that much more difficult with a, a good, hard, aggressive serve. Um, I like to put a fair amount of spin on it. Um, I've got a new serve that's it's been a work in progress for a little over a year now. It's called the, the Yellow Submarine. Um, and I love it. It's great. It's, uh, it's a game changer. Okay, on a follow-up subject, David Costa writes, Speak to us on the third shot drive. One of my favorite subjects. Um, and it ties in a lot with what I previously mentioned um, about the serve. The third shot drive, I think it's something that is still underutilized. It's getting, it's getting more and more... Um, effective and used at the professional game. Um, I think it gets used probably too much in the developing stages of the game, 2-5, 3 and they're using it because it's, it's functional and they're able to win points doing it, which it's hard to argue with that, uh, that thought. What I would like to say on the third shot drive is just something regarding when people should be doing it and when they certainly shouldn't be doing it. Um, I think if your serve has caused a returner to be late to the kitchen, then you have a good reason to drive that third at the person still moving forward. Their ability to coordinate a, a good volley is going to be much more limited if they're still in motion coming up and haven't done their split steps. Um, if they've hit a return that is landing relatively short, and quite a high bounce. Again, um, I think the position on the court that you'll be afforded through that and the contact height means that someone with an effective drive can and should be utilizing it to apply pressure. Okay, next question, Tom Cruise. Does Selkirk have any ambitions to enter the ball manufacturing market? The Durafast 40 has excellent playability characteristics, but unfortunately, it lacks durability. Dura needs a serious competitor. 
Mm. Well, Tom, I haven't heard anything through the grapevine. Uh, the Barnes brothers usually tell me these kinds of things. Um, they haven't mentioned anything about getting into the ball industry. However, if they choose to, I think they would um, certainly take their time um, and make sure that anything they put out to the market is of an extremely high quality. I hope that kind of answers your question. Um, but you never know. Mandy Flory Carly writes, I want to know, so long ago, by what sorcery were you the first pickleball player to realize that Gentle Giant and I were sweethearts? Well, Mandy, uh, that's a good question. Back when, when the Gentle Giant, um, and she's referring to Mr. Aspen Kern, the maestro of the pickleball forum, uh, was living in Palm Desert, he was terrorizing us all with his uh, sharp angle cross court backhand dinks. And we were, I was drilling with him, um, I believe it was after the US Open two years ago. Uh, we were at Freedom Park. And I mentioned to you, uh, I think it was relating to the match. Myself and I think Tonya played against you and I forget the gentleman's name in the, the final of the mixed age event at the US Open. I mentioned you for some reason, I forget what it was. Uh, I think I mentioned that you had some, you had lots of bite, you had some spunk, panache perhaps, mojo, whatever you want to call it. And, um, and he said something else about you. And that was the first time I'd ever heard him mention a girl. So I just put two and two together. Simple as that, really. I hope that answers your question, Carly. <laughs> Okay, Revel Reverty comes in with, when is the next Selkirk on serve in a blistering approach to Manifest Destiny? Uh, well, now, this, this is it. Um, that's how that works. Thanks for refing, Rev. All right, moving on. Scott Lippitz, how did the coach-teammate relationship come about with the Yakima Assassin? And he is referring to, of course, Mr. Tyson McGuffin. That's a good question. Um, it started a couple of years ago, uh, before I believe it was the Bend tournament, um, back when that was part of the PPF. Um, he approached me a month or two prior to that, uh, wanting to essentially you know, employ me as his singles coach. Um, at the time, I, I was still playing some singles and I had played against him a few times. Uh, I had watched him enough and he was you know part of Selkirk I recognized a huge amount of potential in him um, you know certainly from a physical standpoint and I would give him a few sort of pointers here and there on things that I saw obviously um, and a friend of his I think the guy who introduced him to pickleball um, suggested maybe it's uh, time to get a, a fresh pair of eyes um, so he took a chance on this young dodgy Australian to help him out um, and we've been together ever since from a coaching standpoint um, as a teammate it kind of you know followed on from that we developed a, a good relationship on and off the court um, we know each other's games very well and you know, I think we complement each other's styles quite well um, a reasonable amount of hopefully controlled aggression coming out on the court um, 
and good, you know, just a good camaraderie. Who knows exactly what'll happen in the future, but I'm um, certainly in, enjoying my time next to Mr. McGuffin on the court. All right, moving on. Travis and Lisa Carey writes, besides fantastic paddles, what else went into your decision to link arms with Selkirk Sports? What do you like best about doing business with the Barnes Brothers? What part of the country or world would you like to see pickleball grow more? What's your favorite tournament? If you could only pick one city to play pickleball in, where would that be? All right, a lot of questions there. Firstly, they're just great people. Um, they're the nicest guys I've met in the game, for sure. They're good communicators. That means a lot to me. Um, they're generally pretty swift replying to uh, questions, concerns. They're always you know, comfortable getting on the phone and talking things through. I would love to see pickleball grow in Italy. Um, I am a huge fan of the country and before I moved to America uh, I was living in Sardinia for four years um, working as a tennis coach and you know I had, I had played a few other racket sports around Europe, um, padel being one of them and that was so much fun. Um, I'd love to see the Italians really get involved in pickleball um, but it's for selfish reasons. I want to go back there and uh, teach pickleball, play some tournaments, you know. My favorite tournament is the Nationals. It's, um, it's the big one. I mean, there's, there's broadly three majors, the Nationals, the US Open, and, and the Tournament of Champions. Um, but for me, the National Championships, especially now, given that it's at uh, the Indian Wells Tennis Garden, which is um, a good three wood away from my home, it makes it even more special for me. I'd love to play pickleball in Monte Carlo. Um, I've never been to Monaco before, and I've uh, I missed an opportunity six or seven years ago to go and uh, play on the clay courts there. And uh, it's just an incredible part of the world, the French Riviera. And yeah, for me, Monte Carlo. They also have some pretty uh, lax taxation laws, so if I ever have a lot of money, then that's where I'll go to hide it. No, don't tell anybody. Uh, I should probably edit that out, huh? Yeah. Okay, here's another question from David Killen. Do you prefer tennis to pickleball? No, I do not. I prefer pickleball to tennis. I haven't swung a tennis racket for at least a couple of years, and it's been maybe three or four since I've competed in any capacity in tennis. Um, I still like watching it. I'll always watch um, Roger when he's doing his thing, but yeah, it's, uh, it's pickleball all the way now. Now, Claudia Quinn writes, how important is the weight of the paddle? That's pretty important, um, Claudia. I think largely from an injury prevention point of view, you certainly don't want to go too heavy unless you're um, arm has developed around, say, the weight of a tennis racket. Um, more important than the weight is often the balance of the paddle, whether it's uh, very head heavy or head light, that can play a huge role. Um, and you, you're gonna have to experiment to find out. I, I don't think I've met you, Claudia. Maybe we'll meet at some point, and I might be able to give you some further assistance. Um, but Generally, somewhere between seven and eight ounces is pretty safe, but you're gonna to have to 
do a little bit of experimentation, as I said, to find out what's right for you. Remember, if you go with a heavier paddle and you can handle it, then the absorption characteristics of the paddle are going to be better. You know, a fast ball coming at you um, is going to be dealt with a whole lot easier through the paddle's weight and not just your hand, your forearm, your shoulder. Um, the trade-off obviously is hand speed and I notice, I notice a big difference when I dropped down from uh, I was using a paddle at around about 8.8 .8 ounces and I dropped it down to 8.3 um, and immediately I, I felt a, a real difference in hand speed um, going from that weight to another so try some stuff out let me know. Ryan Treffery chimes in here. He's a mate from uh, from Simi Valley, I think he lives. One of the hardest working real estate agents in the game. And he writes, what does the phrase shake and bake mean when it comes to pickleball? <laughs> Ryan, I think you know the answer to this, but the shake and bake is when a player drives the third ball and his partner moves in preemptively to try and poach the opponent's fourth ball. It was made famous uh, by uh, the Polish monster and myself, Mr. Marcin Rospetsky, and we started it at the Lamaster Davison Classic back in, I think it was 2015, maybe 2016, something like that. Um, it was the last year of that tournament and we were in real trouble. We, we were getting dinked to death. Um, we had a nail-biter with uh, Matt Goebel and Brent Ditzik, two people at the time that we didn't, honestly, we didn't think we should lose that match. And, and we didn't in the end, but it was only because of a rain delay and some, uh, some real tactical changes. Um, and we looked at each other and said, do we really want to go out like this? If we're going to go out, why don't we go out swinging? Um, at the time, I was playing a reasonable amount of singles, so I had a, had a decent third ball drive, um, but we weren't using it. We were playing pickleball by the book, and it, it wasn't working. Um, and it turns out, Mr. Rospetsky is quite tall and has a great reach and is incredibly athletic and very talented and good-looking and yada, yada, yada. Um, so he was very well suited for crashing the net and inspiring the fear of God in all those that were on the other side. And I think with the shake and bake, um, we had great success in that tournament. I think we took silver in the end. It wasn't until we ran into the buzz saws that were uh, Dave Weinbach and Oliver Strecker in the final, and they were able to handle the shake and bake, and we probably should have changed tack. Um, didn't think we were going to outdink them anyway, so live and die by the sword, as they say. Thanks, Treff. So there we have it, folks. That is it. That's all. All the questions answered in a timely fashion, I hope. As usual, many of the questions are only going to be met with more questions, and uh, I foresee us doing this again. This was a good time. I enjoyed it. Until that time, stay cool, be good to your parents, and wear sunblock.